Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for your written word, for your spoken word, for your word that manifested upon this earth as the glory of God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the words he said while he was here. We thank you for the words that were written down by the law and the prophets. And Lord, um, Lord, for the daily word that you speak to your children by way of the Holy Spirit. Bless your name this morning. We worship you. And we honor you and we honor your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. How'd you like that video? Any uh, Coldplay fans in the house? Okay. How many of you have seen that? No? So, Sean has seen it. You posted it actually on Facebook, didn't you? That's right. It went viral. Well, I thought it would be a good video to show um, for what we're going to talk about today. Last year, some of you, many of you, were here and we did a, a teaching series called The Light, a study of the menorah. And uh, Sean and I and some of the staff were talking and thought, you know what, there's just there's so many new people. Um, and it was, it was such a good time. The Lord um, just really spoke to our hearts and, and, and really did a lot in our body during that. It might be good to share a little bit of it. I did four weeks of it last year. I'm not going to do four weeks this, this year, but, um, but I wanted to share a little bit of it. Is that cool? And I thought this, this uh, song, this Coldplay song, Christmas Lights, would be great. I really like the song. I really like the video. I think it's very cool, very creative. Of course, everything they do is really, really good. But I particularly like a few lines um, in the song. As a whole, the song is about, you know, it's obviously about a girl at some point. Um, but there's some great lines in here, and one of, them, one of them is, I'm up here holding on to all those chandeliers of hope. And whenever I heard, heard that, I, I wasn't even sure if that's what he said, you know, because he talks like this, you know, or whatever. But I, I looked it up, and I looked, Googled the words, and, and sure enough, I'm up here holding on to these chandeliers of hope. And I just thought, what a great line. What a great lyric for a song. What a great um, idea in any way, more than just a lyric, a chandelier of hope. And not that there's any hope or power in a chandelier. Uh, I mean, it's just, just a chandelier. Uh, but it's what it's supposed to represent. A chandelier is a vessel by which light may come. A vessel used to provide light. I'm not sure how, uh, how spiritually minded and tuned that Coldplay was when they wrote these lyrics. Uh, if nothing else, there's a cultural understanding, I think, of who Jesus is, uh, what he came to do, the meaning of Christmas, and all that kind of stuff. At least a cultural understanding. And this week, as I, was, as I was thinking about this, I began to wonder if, um, not so much in our understanding, but in our attitude of worship, and in our focus in celebrating the Christmas holidays, if, I was wondering how much of that worship, how much of that focus has just kind of waned to really not be much more than a, uh, a cultural observance of the holiday. I'm not slamming anybody. I'm really kind of talking more of myself because Christmas has gone, has come and gone by now for me for, you know, about to be 36 years. So I've, ex- I've celebrated Christmas 36 times. Some of you guys less, some of you guys more. And just like anything that comes and goes and comes and goes and passes, um, 
can easily become very trite and just kind of part of what we do and not a whole lot of, uh, again, focus and real deep consideration of it. And uh, how much of our worship in this season, how much of our focus is, is really focused in this holiday? Yes, Jesus was a man. Yes, a man-child came into this world. <laughs> it's not just about the day, though, that an important man was born. This holiday can't be just about the day that a, a really important guy came upon this earth because that cheapens the worship because Jesus was more than a man. He was a man. We know that. But he was more than a man. If we don't see him to be more than a man, then there's really no need to worship him. And my celebration of this holiday really becomes not much more than following the culture in their observance of a holiday. You guys with me what I'm saying? And so I want you to write something down if you have a pen. When my consideration of Jesus Christ only involves the realm of his humanity, then we're in danger of not understanding his divinity. When my consideration of Jesus Christ only involves the realm of his humanity, then I am in danger of not understanding his divinity. And when I don't understand his divinity, then my worship, if we can call it worship, is at best very shallow. Because I'm not understanding that I'm worshiping the true and living God, the Savior of the world. At that point, I'm just considering a man, a man who was a great teacher, a man who might have even been a prophet, a man who had a gift of healing. But he was more than that. He was divine, amen? Jesus Christ was divine. In John 1, that verse 9, it says that, that the one who has come into the world is more than just a man, but rather the true light that gives light to every man. And my, um, my favorite analogy of Jesus Christ in the Word is the light. I think it's a great analogy because uh, it communicates to us a couple of things. It's a great picture, one, <clears throat> of who He is. If you look at 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. So right off the bat, we know when we think of the light, it is describing Jesus Christ, divine. Jesus is the light. Right there in that statement, we, we recognize his divinity, that he is deity, that he is God. Yes, he was fully man. He was also fully God. There's a couple of scriptures here. One is when Jesus was talking. He said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I've come to love that phrase. And it's actually in that one of the songs that you sang. I was like, oh, I didn't remember that last year. Um, by the way, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, the song, Our Light Has Come, Sean actually wrote that last year. That's a, that's a song that Sean wrote during this, se- uh, this series last year. And the Lord just inspired him on this topic and, and, uh, and he wrote that song. Is it that, it's a great song to worship to. You guys are familiar with when Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus when God visited him. It says that on the way to Damascus, a light from heaven, not just a light, a light from heaven, Easy to say that this is a divine light, right? It says, a a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And then it says, the light said, the light spoke and said, I am Jesus. Again, Jesus is the light. It's brighter than the sun, brighter than your lamp, 
brighter than your headlights. That's obvious. But just, I mean, he's the light. There's another line in the, uh, in the song I wanted to show you. It says, those Christmas lights light up the street. Down where the sea and city meet. May all your troubles soon be gone. Oh, Christmas lights, keep shining on. And I think this is a great picture of the second thing that makes the light, Jesus being the light, a great analogy because it's what he's done. He has brought light into the darkness. He has brought us out of the darkness. It's a great analogy because it shows who he is, that he is divine, he is light, brighter than anything else, and it shows a great picture of what he has done. All of our troubles are gone. Not that we won't go through trials and difficulties, but those things are nothing compared to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, right? He has brought us out of darkness. When you look at Matthew 4.16, it says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, again, a great light, talking about a divine light. Those who live in, dark, in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And he's actually quoting Isaiah 9 too. He's quoting one of the prophets. This was written way before Matthew even wrote this down in his, uh, in his gospel. And then you look again at Acts 26 where Paul's given that testimony of how the light spoke to him and said, I am Jesus. He said, I am Jesus. I am sending you to the Jewish people. And then it says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Again, Jesus is light. It's who he is and what he has done is he has opened the eyes of all those who, who, um, who believe on, on his name so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. It's what he's done. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm grateful for what he's done in my life. I've been saved now for, you know, 16 years or so. And I remember what it was like to live in the dark. I remember what it was like to, um, to encounter darkness. It's, it's scary in the darkness. You, you sense things, you feel things, you, you think things. Sometimes you see things. In the darkness, the darkness can be a scary place. It's never fun. It's a place of blindness. It's a place of confusion. Some of you know what I'm talking about more than others. It is not a good place. It's a place where fear rules. It's a place where fear is king. It's a place where it's difficult to hope. And I think that's why I connect with this, with this phrase that Coldplay said. It's a chandelier of hope. A chandelier of hope. Because there is hope. There is hope for someone who is in the darkness. That hope is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who came to bring us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And I don't have to fear anymore. I'm not confused anymore. I'm not worried anymore. I can see clearly. I'm not walking in darkness, but I'm walking in his marvelous light. You know, in John, over in chapter 12, uh, says, I have come, Jesus said, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And I can confidently and with godly pride say that that's me. I've been brought out of darkness. And we can all probably swap darkness stories. Some of our mouths may drop lower than others. But we all have participated, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, 
we have all been touched, not just by a man, but a man who was fully man and fully divine, fully God. It's because of his divinity that my sins are even forgiven. Amen? It's because he came with a power and with a purpose. I was thinking about how the Father just shined light, his light. Again, not a flashlight, but his light, a divine light into the darkness, his own son. And this was his desire. This was his plan from the very beginning. And one of the, one of the best places to see his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption is within the tabernacle of Moses. Now, I don't have time to go into this big, long thing about the tabernacle of Moses. I actually even did quite a bit last year. But um, one of the things you can know, in case you don't know, is that the tabernacle is what God chose to, to, um, to use to dwell and, and to interact with man and, uh, and also to establish a pattern of worship uh, with his people. If you look at Exodus 25, 8, it says, Make a sanctuary. This is God talking to Moses. He says, Make a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. Talking about his people. In fact, tabernacle means a dwelling place, a dwelling place. And with the tabernacle, you see, uh, you see an, an outer court, you see an inner court, these, these parts of the tabernacle, the outer court, everything was made of brass. Brass in, in Scripture oftentimes is a, is a symbol of judgment, of sin. So everything in the outer court, the brazen altar, uh, the altar of sacrifice, sin was judged. Within the inner court, everything was made of gold. In Scripture, gold speaks of God's divine nature. Again, the divinity uh, of God. And within the inner court was the holy place. Then you go further in, and then there's the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And uh, the holy place was a place of communion with God. There was, a, there was the menorah in there, and there was a table of showbread where they, where they would um, have a little ceremony they would do with the bread. And there was the altar of incense, or the golden altar. Some of you may be familiar with that, where they would burn incense day and night. And... Um, and it's a place of fellowship. And then the holy of holies, the most holy place, was all about the presence of God. That was the ultimate goal, was to get to the presence of God. And we know even now, in the presence of God, great things come. Times of refreshing, uh, anointing, um, uh, His Word, His heart. We just we gain so much in His presence. So the Ark of the Covenant was held. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on, uh, much like I did last year, I wanted to focus on the menorah. The menorah. This is a menorah here, in case, you, in case you've never seen a menorah or you weren't aware of what a menorah is. Um, a menorah was, was found in the holy place. In fact, it was the first thing when the high priest would come in the doors of the holy place. First thing they would do is they would go over here because it was a covered tent. And they light the menorah in a very specific way so that they could illuminate the whole, um, the whole place there, the whole holy place. And they would be able to carry on the rest of their, uh, their ceremony. <coughs> I don't know if you guys even know what a menorah is. Most of you have seen this, uh, seen something like this. The menorah has been really a symbol of Judaism or the Jewish faith for 3,000 years. It's a very uh, prominent symbol. Most, it, most of us know the Star of David, and that, that has become a, a pretty prominent symbol of, of the Jews and Judaism and all that stuff as well. Um, but further back than that was the menorah. Um, it was found in the tabernacle of Moses that they would set up and tear down, set up and tear, about, tear down when they would wander in the desert. They eventually got into the promised land, the land of Canaan. They had the tabernacle in there. We know that eventually the first temple that was built by Solomon, we know that the menorah was in there, as was the rest of the, the furniture and the vessels uh, of worship there. Um, we know that that temple was destroyed by the, ba- by the Babylonians. By the Babylonians. 
by the Babylonians, you know. So, um, <laughs> sorry, you didn't know I had it in me, did you? <laughs> I got more moves than a U-Haul. Okay, anyway, I used to say that all the time in youth group, and the kids would just be like, <laughs> so anyway. And then in 20 BC, Herod the Great, most of you know who Herod is. Herod the Great, who was an amazing arch- um, what do you call it? What are you, Chad? Architect. Really, he was a brilliant mind. Um, and so is Chad. Um, but he was also very arrogant and cocky. And he wanted to build a temple that was greater than that one. So they tore that one down and they built another uh, temple. It's called Herod's Temple. You guys may see it in Scripture. And then I'm going to read this. It says, In 70 AD, when it was destroyed, talking about the second temple, when it was destroyed during the first Jewish-Roman War, by the Roman general Titus, who seized the gold menorah and other valuables from the temple and displayed them in this parade of triumph. The parade was later commemorated in an embossment on the gate of Titus built in Rome. It depicts the humiliated Jewish captives forced to carry the menorah as a symbol of their defeat. So Titus, in an attempt to humiliate, and certainly it would, had them carry this thing in a big procession as a symbol of their defeat. In fact, I have a picture of it. Um, This is what's kind of left of that. You can see right square in the middle of the picture was them carrying that uh, menorah. And there's kind of a a redo, like what they think it probably looked like in the next slide um, uh, when they originally carved it out of the wall there. Um, But the the menorah has been important to to the Jewish people for a very long time. A very long time. And, and there's a reason for that. The Hebrew word for lampstand is menorah. Uh, it means a light bearer. It comes from the word menorah, which means beam. I love that. Not just light, but beam. You know what I mean? I love that. It's, it's great. So that's what menorah means. And it was made out of pure gold. Now this is important. And the reason I'm bringing up this morning is because one of the first things you think of when you, when you hear gold, as I said earlier, is divinity. It spoke of the glory of God, the divinity of God. In Jude 1 verse 25, it says, to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority. And the list could go on and on and on. But I guess for the sake of space, They stopped and said, before all time and now and forever. That's our God. That's what he deserves. That's what we have to have in mind when we are worshiping him. His majesty, his dominion, his reign, his rule, all of these things, his authority, divinity found right there. And it wasn't just, oh, let's get some gold and melt it down. It was melted and melted. And you know how the process of making it as pure as possible it was pure gold. And one of the other things that, that pure represents is without sin. Leaven in the scripture also represents sin. And, and, you know, that's the bread that was on the table was unleavened bread. But you see that thought even in the menorah. That Jesus Christ, our Savior, was without sin. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. That's good to know. Because that's a worthy That's a worthy God to lean upon. Amen? Amen. And then the other thing I think it speaks a lot of, the fact that it was gold, is just simply his worth. Who Jesus was 
Everything about him was a costly ordeal. He was God's only son that he gave up and sent. Jesus, as a man, when he was a man, gave up his own life. It wasn't like he had some sort of, uh, you know, dead, pain-killing kind of a thing. He endured the cross. It was painful. There's a great worth in it. In fact, the menorah, the original one, was estimated to be about um, 75 pounds of gold. 75 pounds of gold. Not 75 pounds. 75 pounds of gold. Who in here weighs 75 pounds? I probably shouldn't have asked that. Never mind. I think my 10-year-old weighs 75 pounds. It's like, oh, it's a lot of gold. But we know that, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of scriptures all, all over the place that talk about the, the costliness of our Savior. Isaiah 28 uh, talks him being a costly cornerstone for a foundation. He was more than a man. He was man, fully man, but he was also God. Amen? Another thing I wanted to talk about this morning, and, and we're actually almost done, but the lampstand, most people don't realize, understand stand this, and can't even fathom this, but whenever they, you look at the instructions found in, um, um, I think Exodus 25, whenever they were to build, whenever God said, build this thing for me, and I want there to be a lampstand in there, a menorah, a beam of light, a light-bearing uh, thing, something to facilitate light. He said, take a chunk of gold and beat that thing until you come up with that. Talks about how it is a hammered work. Some of your versions say hammered work. Some of your versions say a beaten work. In fact, let's turn there. We'll look and see what mine says. The golden lampstand. Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shafts are to be made of hammered work. Some of your versions say may, may be made of beaten work. Its bulbs, its cups, its, uh, cups, its flowers should be of one piece with it. <clears throat> Basically what it's saying is taking this, this big lump, 75 pound lump of gold and beat it until it takes the shape of the menorah. And it gives the description. We'll talk about this next week maybe. Um, it describes basically an almond tree, an almond branch. Beat it until it gets into that shape. Now, this is a little one, but can you imagine taking a big, and just a hammer and just beating this thing? Beating it and beating it and beating it until finally you have the shape of the menorah. That is what God described. It's the only vessel in the, in the, um, in the tabernacle that is to be made of beaten work. I think it's very interesting that that's true. First Peter 4 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. One of the things that you can see in the tabernacle of Moses and all its furniture and all its vessels and all this stuff is that everything in it, everything that was made, speaks of either the person of Jesus Christ or the work of Jesus Christ. And right here in the menorah, you can see that uh, it's talking about both at the same time. The person of Jesus Christ, who is he? He's pure gold, purely, defi- uh, purely divine. No fault in him, no sin in him. He's also a man who was a beaten work. A man that was scourged, beaten, bruised, battered, torn for the sins of the world. For my sins, not his sins. 
Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this guy. They crucified him just the same. Of a beaten work. You look at that thing right there, and it looks just like, oh, it's just like a little, little chandelier, a little lampstand. It's like, no, that is a picture of the work of my Savior. And because he was obedient to go all the way to the cross, what he did as a man engaged God in the divine and the sins of the world were forgiven. Light came into the darkness. There is now means for us to get out of the scary life that we once lived. Amen? We've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. What kind of light? Marvelous. Again, divine. Not headlights. Not a, not a little candle. The divine. His marvelous light. We have a little thing I want to read right here. It says, The lampstand was the only vessel in the tabernacle which was made of beaten work. It's in striking contrast from the golden calf that Aaron made. For that was cast in a mold. What is idolatrous or according to man's mind can be made quickly and easily cast into shape. But that which has most of all glorified God and secured the redemption of his people was produced at a great cost. Clearly, the beaten gold here speaks of a suffering Christ glorified, glorified as the reward of his perfect but painful work. Amen? My hope is that we can recognize when we are doing things according to our own mind, when we are really not doing much more than following the mold that the world has put into us or that, we're, that is laid out for us. You know, when in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when it says, um, Brothers, I, I beseech you, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is a reasonable act of worship. Um, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conform right there. Um, and that word pattern, pattern specifically, it is the idea of stepping into a mold. It's like this, there's this, like a footprint. You know how you, you let, put a footprint there and you t- um, step up and there's a little mold right there. They would pour casts into it, you know, to get the little Bigfoot, you know. We've all seen and love Bigfoot, right? That's how they do that. They make a cast of it out of the mold from the foot. That's what Paul's saying. Don't do that. Paul's, if Paul would have had time, I suppose, he might have said, you remember Moses? Remember whenever he went up the mountain to meet with God? The people got impatient. Their faith started to wane. Even though he had just done all these miracles to bring them out there into salvation, even after they sang Miriam's song of redemption and salvation, I guess that became kind of trite. Because now Moses goes up for a little while to spend some QT with God and we get impatient. And what do they do? It says they cast a mold of a golden calf and they threw gold in there and heated it up. They didn't even purify the gold. They didn't take the time to do that. Just chunk it in there. And the shape that they came up with was the very form of a golden calf which was part of Phoenician worship and the worship of Baal and all this kind of stuff. It was an idol. You guys know that. It's an idol. And that would be my heart is, is like, um, 
And I'm, usually I'm not like a big Christmas, like Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. You know, I'm usually generally not like that at Christmas. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, for whatever reason. But you know what? There's so many arguments about what's right. Do you put up a tree? Do you let Santa come down your chimney? What do you do at Christmas? You know, whatever. If there's one thing we can focus on during this season of light, it is the one who came and was born in the flesh, was born as a man, but he was completely divine. And because he was divine, what he accomplished on this earth was divine and eternal. Anything outside of that being uh, the focus of our life and our worship and our, um, our pursuit really is just a, a mold of other things. Now, we have lives to live. We have jobs to work. We have school to learn. We have this to that. We have whatever. I get that. But in the midst of it, where is our focus on the divine? Where is our honoring of he who came from heaven down to earth and lived a perfect life, yet was a beaten work. Where is our honoring of that? Well, I get impatient. I just get impatient. And so I, bleh, really? Wow. And I'm, I'm actually, that was my confession. <laughs> patience. I was this morning on the, way to, on the way to church. I was just confessing my lack of patience. Like, wow, how selfish, how self-consumed we are. Can't endure one frustrating circumstance. Yet Jesus Christ endured what he did. And because of that, I have now been empowered to endure these little things. Amen? One of the other lines in this, um, this song is, Oh, Christmas lights, light up the streets. Light up the fireworks in me. You guys like that? I like that. Light up the fireworks in me. Those Christmas lights keep shining on. And of course, it made me instantly think of 1 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh. To kindle afresh. Some of your versions say to fan, to fan the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's what we talked about last week, remember? But of power, love, and a sound mind or discipline. Remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. You got to stand with me. I would love for, for Sean, um, if it's okay, Sean, Maybe you and uh, James to just come up and like play through. Maybe no singing, but just play through that uh, "Light of the World" song. This is a beautiful song, and let's just take some take you know five, ten minutes, seven minutes. We could we could meet in the middle, the number of perfection, uh, and just kind of like um, just get a get a grip, <laughs> you know. Every, every now and then you can glance over at this menorah. Consider that this, with its intricacies, and this isn't maybe even as intricate as what they had, I don't know. But those little things, as detailed and intricate as it was, out of a, out of a hammer, just a beaten work. It's our Savior. And, and where are we 
Where are we up against that? The word says that we're called to reflect that. In fact, that we're identified with Christ through what? His beaten work. We're identified with Christ in his sufferings. I'm not saying that we get sadistic and go out and start sticking our eyeballs out with needles. But it just means in the midst of that, just like the joy before him, he endured the cross, the joy before me, knowing that I'm pleasing my Savior when I keep my cool, when I facilitate the Holy Spirit in me, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, (laughs) the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control in me. On the other end of that, I don't have guilt and shame. But I can praise God saying, instead of shame, I chose praise, and your name is glorified because of the way I handled my boss, my wife, my kids. Whatever it is. Amen? It's just a, a time where you can have a, a, just a, a real purposed um, respond to the truth of God's word, encounter with the Lord. And even if the words, Lord, forgive me, needs to come out, that would be a great thing to do. And you're welcome to sit as well. I had you stand. You're welcome to sit or posture yourself any way you like. It's just a-